0: Today's reading is from First Peter chapter one, verses 17 through 25, so starting in verse 17. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart
1: Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Brooks, lead pastor here. Thank you for joining us and choosing to worship with us. We've been going through the book of Peter for about the last three weeks. We're going to be going through that. It'll take us all the way through the end of 2022. And last week we looked at the text in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. And what Peter said as he's writing this in verse 13, he says, set your hope fully Set your hope fully on the grace that's going to be revealed to you when Christ returns. And then what he, what he takes us through is that that setting your hope, that resetting your hope. Everybody hopes in something. You may be a follower of Christ. You may not be. But regardless of what you believe, your hope is set somewhere. And that's what, that's what causes you to live your life the way that you live it, for better or for worse, for better, for worse, and 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 what Peter was saying last week, as we looked at this, is that this hope, this hope, when we reset, when we set our hope fully on the grace to be revealed to us through Christ, it leads, it leads to the practice of holiness, and that was that was last week. Now, just just to bring holiness down from high up and and bring it down to where we all live. To, to be holy is just simply to become the kind of person who actually is able and wants to obey God. It's to become the kind of person who is able and desires to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbor as their self. That's, that's what it means. That's what it means. Now, this morning, we're continuing verses 17 through the end of the chapter and we're looking at the role that fear plays. The role that fear plays. So fear and the practice of holiness, that's what we're going to look at this morning. There are four things. First of all, the nature of fear. The nature of fear. Then the object of fear. Everybody, everybody hopes in something? Yes? Everybody fears something as well. Everybody fears something. Not necessarily the same hope, not necessarily the same fears, but we all fear something. So the nature of fear, the object of fear, the result of fear. And then lastly, very practically, how do you reorientate your fear? So last week was how do you set your hope on that which is going to lead to you becoming the kind of person who is able and desires to obey God? And this is how do you reorientate your fears in such a way that you and I become the kind of people who are able and desire to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So that's where we're headed this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them to First Peter chapter 1, we'll be starting in verse 17. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Jesus, we pray that you would be exalted this morning. Spirit, we ask that you would help us to understand, apply, believe, and be changed by your gospel. The good news, what you've done for us, what you've accomplished for us. Lord, I know there are people here who don't yet follow you. They're not necessarily believers, and and many who are. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart, regardless of where they are at in their faith journey, whether they are thinking about starting or whether they've been walking with you for decades. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would uh, encourage us, and that you would have your way in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So here we go. So right out of the gate, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, Peter says, and if, if you call on him as father, now the, the assumption here is that you do, Yes. So there are some people who do not call on God as their father. They're not necessarily Christians. They don't don't pretend to be followers, but he's speaking to individuals who do. If you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct, conduct yourselves with fear. Conduct yourselves with fear, throughout the time of your exile. So the introductory message to this, this series, we talked about what it means to be in exile. What Peter is simply saying here is, is this world is not your home. This world is not your home. You're a temporary resident. You may be of the citizen of the United States of America or some other country, but even then, that, that, that nation that you are a citizen of is not your final destination. It's not your home. You're an exile here. You're you're here temporarily. So conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So what is the nature of fear? A definition, Webster's Dictionary, definition of fear, it's an unpleasant emotion. It's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. That's the definition. An unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. So Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear. Conduct yourselves with fear. The purpose of fear, the purpose of fear is that fear is, a, is an emotion that is hardwired into us by our Creator. It's hardwired into us, it's an emotion hardwired into us by our creator to help us avoid that which is harmful. Fear is designed by God and it is a good thing. It is a good thing. Fear is is the anti-hope. If hope is the expectation, the eager expectation of a preferred future, fear is... Is, is the eager desire to avoid a negative future. That's what fear is. That's what fear is. So fear, in a sense, is the, is the anti-hope. So what do you fear? Everybody fears something. Some of you are like, I'm fearless. No, you're not. No, you're not. Everybody's afraid of something. What are you afraid of? What do you fear? What do you feel is unpleasant and you want to avoid that unpleasantness? What do you fear? So, for fun, take out your cell phones if you have a smartphone and text Grace 100 to the number 22333 to join on this little experiment here. And then, then, uh, so you do that. So text GRACE100 to the number 22333 to join. And text your one-word answer to the question, to the question, what do you fear? Go. And your answers will pop up on the screen. Failure. <laughs> Wife. <laughs> oh, man. Clowns. All right. Snakes. Children. Spouse, family, judgment, loneliness, wrath, spiders, hurt. By the way, the, the, larger, the, the larger the word, that means that more people are, are typing that in. So the largest, largest word has the most hits. Uh, loneliness, failure, loss, cancer. <laughs> Bald. <laughs> Brooks. Brooks. Who typed Brooks? I don't want to know probably somebody in my community group. Loneliness, failure. Simpson, you guys are awful. So you get the idea. Uh, Everybody fears something. And in this case, failure is the number one, the number one fear. People are afraid of failure, afraid of death, afraid of loneliness, afraid, afraid of God, rejection, children, uh, disappointment, you name it. We're all afraid of something. We're all afraid of something. The object of fear here, let's take a look at what Peter is telling us to conduct ourselves with fear, but it's not a generic fear. It's a focused fear. It's a fear of something, fear of something. So what is this fear? So here, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. So what is it that Peter wants us to be afraid of? Or to have fear in. What is it? Is Peter saying you should be afraid of the culture you live in? What do you think? No. No. By the way, Peter's culture had the power, had the ability to take his life. And eventually he would give his life as he was crucified upside down on a cross. So the culture... Has the ability to persecute you, and 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 take your life even, but that's that's not what he's saying. Is he, is Peter saying you should fear your circumstances? You should be afraid of what might happen to you to today, tomorrow, or ten years from now. Is he saying you should be afraid of your circumstances? Does Peter say you should be afraid of of a, of a cancer diagnosis? You should be afraid of of what might happen to you. Is is he saying? fear your circumstances no if if he is then then he's he's not in line with the rest of the teaching of scripture he's not saying that he's not he's not saying fear your culture he's not saying fear your circumstances he's not saying fear this world jesus said in matthew chapter 10 verse 28 he said don't fear those who have the power to take your life don't fear those who have the power to take your life but instead, fear the one who has the power and the authority to cast your soul into hell. So he's not. you don't need to be afraid of the world. By the way, there's lots of dangerous things in the world. But ultimately, you don't need to fear death even. But do fear the one who has the power and the authority to cast your souls into hell. So look at verse 17. If you call on him as the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, comma, conduct yourselves with fear. That fear, that fear, is connected to the one whom you call Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So this is referring to Peter's talking about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. In the Old Testament, it says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now what? What kind of fear is Peter talking about? The object of fear here is the fear of the Lord, but what kind of fear are we talking about? Is Peter saying, you as a, by the way, if you call him father, what does that make you? His child. Is Peter telling God's children to fear the wrath and condemnation of their father? No. No, there is no condemnation. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8. If there is anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. He's, he's already said in verse three of chapter one, he says that, according to His mercy, by His mercy, he caused you and I to be born again into a living hope. You were born again as His child, if you are in Christ, by grace through faith, because of His mercy. So is, is, is Peter saying, and, and you need to be afraid of this, this irrational father who's just going to fly off the handle and kick you out of the kingdom because of your screw-ups? Well, if that's what Peter's saying, he's contradicting himself earlier in this very chapter. He's contradicting himself later in this very same chapter. He's contradicting himself throughout his entire epistle. And he's also contradicting Jesus. And he's contradicting, he's contradicting Paul. He's contradicting all of the authors of scripture. He's not saying fear the condemnation of your father, but you should fear God. Some of you are like, well, I don't, I don't get it. How can I fear God if he's not going to condemn me because of my sins? If he unconditionally loves me as a child, as an adopted son, if he looks upon me as righteous, according to the scriptures, he does because of what Christ has done for me, and he sees me as as forgiven, as pardoned, as righteous in Christ, then why would I fear a God who is not going to condemn me for my past sins, for my present sins, and my future sins. What is there to fear? That is a fair question. That is a fair question. The word judges right here, the father who judges impartially, the tense of that verb is present tense and it's ongoing. He's not talking about a future judgment in the future. He's talking about his continual evaluation of my every choice and his ongoing judgments of my decisions. He's talking about the natural consequences of my choices right now. He's talking about, he's talking about the fear of displeasing my father who loves me currently and the fear of the discipline of that father who currently loves me. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there who the father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. What we're talking about here, what Peter is talking about is the fear of the Lord. There's a fear of the Lord which is not fear of condemnation, but it's a fear of displeasing him and a fear of of receiving discipline. Fear of receiving discipline. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, "Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1 in 1 Peter. He says, verse 17, If you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each man's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing knowing that you were ransomed back it up. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. The futile ways of our father. So before before I became a Christian in 1987, before I was a believer, I was dead in my transgressions and sins, according to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 3. And if you're not in Christ, you are dead in your sins. And and what conducts your life is is a fear of a lot of different things, but fear of God's not one of them. So those futile ways are what directed us before we became followers of Christ. And then when I was, because of his mercy, was caused to be born into a living hope and I became a follower of Christ in 1988, I started following Jesus, I was an infant in Christ. All of a sudden, my hopes changed, my hopes switched, and my fears switched. There was a change. By the way, the Bible calls change repentance. I changed from desiring this desiring that. I changed from fearing this to fearing that. That's called repentance. I changed. My hopes changed, my fears changed, and my behavior lagged, but I began to change as an individual. I began to change as an individual. I no longer feared God's wrath, but I did fear displeasing him. So here's a question. Why would someone who is not going to experience the wrath of God want to change? Because I want to please my Father now. Before there was no, there was no desire to please my Father because He wasn't my Father. But now there actually is a desire to please the Father. There is a desire to please the Father. So 1998. 1998. 1998. I'm, I've been following Jesus for 10 years. And before I was married, while I was dating uh, my, my girlfriend who became my wife, I was into pornography. Uh, there, was, there was some sexual behavior that just was, 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 was no good. No good. And I, I didn't tell her any of that because I didn't want to lose her. Right? So I became a follower of Christ 10 years into my relationship with Jesus when I finally started to get serious when the Lord really got a hold of me and I began, to, I began to grow probably more than I had grown in the previous 10 years of my following Jesus I sat my wife down and I confessed all my sexual immorality to her before we were married and while I was dating her it hurt her deeply It hurt her deeply to know that I, while I was dating her, was running around. That hurt her deeply. And by the way, there's no statute of limitations when you confess sexual sin to a spouse. She didn't say, oh, that was 10 years ago. It's all good. No, it decimated her. So here's a question. Didn't you fear your wife's wrath? Heck yes! then why did you confess that to your wife? Because I feared the Lord more. I had been walking with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was prompting me, you need to confess your sin to your wife. And I would have these these arguments with God in my head. I would hear that, you need to confess this, you need to walk in holiness, and I would say, but it's all under the blood, Jesus. It's all under the blood, I don't... What possible good could come of me telling her what I did before I was a Christian? And what I heard was very clear. It wasn't audible, but it was very clear. You walk in the light as I am the light, or you walk in darkness. You choose. I feared displeasing the Lord. I feared walking in darkness and I was willing to come into the light and confess my sexual sin and experience the wrath of my wife. That, that's what it is. There's no I'm not I'm not afraid of condemnation of God. I am a, I was afraid of my wife's condemnation, but I was more afraid of not walking in the light. That's what we're talking about here. I, I have I wasn't even going to share that in the. In the it's just it's like one of those things. If you don't share this, everything is abstract. This is not abstract. This is the fear of not walking in the light. Not condemnation. Not condemnation. So, fear of God. It's not a fear of condemnation. It's a fear of God's displeasure and, honestly, my own sin. I'm terrified of my own sin. You've heard me talk about my former addiction to pornography. That's not been an issue for 30 years. It could be tomorrow, though. But when I'm alone and I have a computer and I have a phone, I am utterly, literally terrified, terrified to give in to that kind of sin. Why? I'm not afraid that God will condemn me. I am terrified that he will expose me. I am terrified of the consequences of of giving in to that sin because I know where it will lead. It will cause pain and, and destruction in my marriage. It will cause pain and destruction in the body of Christ as the name of Jesus is brought to reproach because of my sin, which will be made public. I'm afraid of that. In the same way I'm afraid of heights and I don't want to fall off a cliff. I'm afraid I'm afraid to come to the edge of the cliff of sexual immorality because I've been there before. I've been redeemed from that. I've been redeemed from the futile ways in which I used to walk. I don't want to fall. I'm afraid of falling. I'm not afraid of condemnation. My father loves me. His son has given his life for me. But I am afraid of falling. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. God loves me and he loves you too much to allow us to live in ongoing sin. And here's the thing. If you are living in wanton sin, And there are no earthly consequences. Let me tell you what you should fear. You should fear that you're not his child. He he allows us to suffer the consequences of stupid decisions because he's a good father. Not because he's a bad father, because he loves us. You've heard me tell I don't know how many hundreds of illustrations about my anger or my pride, yes? Do you know why God allows me to suffer the consequences of my pride relationally? Because he loves me. And because as long as I'm walking in pride, he is opposed to me, according to what James says. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He can't give me more grace if I'm walking in pride. And when I'm walking in pride, that manifests itself as being self-defensive and angry, and it hurts people around me. And, And consequently, my relationships stink. And why do they stink? Because God loves me. And I'm experiencing the natural consequences of my folly when I'm following the futile ways of my forefathers and the way I used to live before I was in Christ. He loves me so much he's going to allow me to suffer. He loves you so much he's going to allow you to suffer. And some of you are in pain because of your sin and choices you've made and you think God doesn't love me. To the contrary. The pain you are experiencing right now, which might be a consequence of your own decisions and your own choices, is evidence that he loves you dearly. That may be hard to hear, but it's true nonetheless. So what are the results of this fear? First of all, if it's the fear of God, what does it lead to? It leads to holiness and love. Look at, at verse 22 here. Verse 22, having purified your souls from obedience to the truth for for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So this holiness, this holiness, this resetting of your hope fully on the grace to be revealed in you. And this this fear of, of God, fear fear of displeasing him and fear of his own discipline, that fear, that reverence, not fear of condemnation, that fear leads to an earnest love for our brothers in Christ. It it leads to us becoming the kind of people who are able to and desire to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors, spouses, children, co-workers, even enemies, to love them as ourselves. It leads to holiness. It leads to love. Now, here's a fair question. Here's a fair question. Then why isn't there more holiness and love within the church? Never mind outside the church. I'm just talking about those who profess to follow Christ. Why isn't there more holiness in your marriage? Why isn't there more love in your relationships. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is not the only fear in town. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I can't I can't occasionally begin to fear things which are not the Lord. There are other fears. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14. Looked at this last week. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In verse 18, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. What's he talking about? He's talking about the former passions which once governed us, which for some of you who are in Christ still govern you. What are you afraid of? FOMO. You're afraid of missing out. So I've been doing this little experiment. I read a little book called Practicing the Presence of God. It's not a book, actually. Well, it's been made a book. It's letters from a a 16th century monk by the name of Brother Lawrence. And it's just an explanation of what it looks like to try to experience the presence and the power of God at all times, every moment of your life, doing whatever you're doing whether I'm preaching or whether I'm at home or whether I'm driving in the car or whether you're an accountant, whatever. Whatever you're doing to experience the presence of God moment by moment, and that requires, it requires to to prepare your mind for action. Stuff we talked about last week. So I've been doing this for about a month now. About a month now. So much so that my wife has said, I can actually tell a difference. You actually engage me without me having to say engage me talk to me. I'm actually asking questions. I don't need to think about it. I just, it just happens. That it's the fruit. There's, there's love. It's, it's manifesting itself. So last week I get home. I go home and I take a nap after, after church. Take a nap and, and I turn on football and, I, and I'm watching football and I'm thinking about the evening and, and this thought goes through my head. Literally. I kid you not. I don't know if I want to practice the presence of God for the next three hours. I literally had that thought, and I thought to myself, why would I, what's going, the week before I ate half of a poly iced pizza on Sunday. I was pretty sure that if I was going to practice the presence of God from the hours of 4 p.m. to the hours of 7 p.m., half of a poly iced pizza probably wasn't in the agenda. And what if I wanted to watch something on Netflix or Prime or whatever that, yeah, I don't know, it just doesn't honor God. I want the freedom to do what I want to do. (laughs) I don't want to practice the presence of God for the next three hours. And I caught myself. I literally thought those thoughts. and And here's what's going on. I feared missing out on what I figured the Lord wouldn't want me to do. I was afraid that I would lose out on something. Do you remember the corn illustration last year when I ate the corn dip <laughs> and I kept coming back to the corn dip and I kept eating it? Why does a, per- why does a person commit glut- Why do I do gluttony? Why do I do that? Why do you do gluttony? Why? Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that, <sighs> what if I'll never taste that again? I know I was full a half an hour ago, but I'm afraid that I won't be able to experience that awesome creaminess again. And once I go to, the, go to the well and I start drinking from that polluted well, I'm afraid that I won't be able to go back. And so I just keep drinking or keep eating. That's what gluttony is, right? But then the Lord loves me enough to cause me to throw up in my mouth at 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> that. So I begin to fear that. And say, well, so, do you see how irrational that is? I'm afraid that, I, that I'll miss out. Now, granted, the, the whole month of practicing the presence of God, I've experienced in my marriage something better than I've experienced in the last 33 years. But I'm afraid that I'll miss out on something the next three hours. On Netflix or PolyEyes? Did you see how utterly irrational that is? That's exactly what goes on between your ears. When the fear of something else overpowers the fear of the Lord. It's what we do. That's why, that's why we're not able to love. That's why we are irritable. That's why when we're with our spouse, we're not really with our spouse. We're thinking of the next thing. That's why we don't get along with people we work with. That's why we're afraid of the wrong things. We're afraid of the wrong things. And just so you know, I'm not the only one, and neither are you. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. This is a... Interesting text. Galatians chapter 2, Paul's writing a church which is bound up in legalism. Here's what happened. Paul planted this church in Galatia. It's modern-day Turkey, and he preached the gospel there, and, and this church got up and going, and things were going great, and, Pete, and, and Paul left, and, and, and then other people came, and they came, and they were, they were Jewish Christians, and they began to teach these Christians, these Gentiles, that listen, Hey, we're, we're, oh, it's awesome that you love Jesus. We're just, that's so good. But you need to be Jewish. You're Gentiles, but you need to be Jewish. You need to be circumcised. You need to obey the law of Moses. You need to obey the dietary restrictions. You need to do all that. You need to be kosher. You need to be kosher. So Paul's writing this letter to say, no, you don't. You just need Jesus and nothing else, right? But look at what he says in, in Galatians chapter 2. Verse 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, the author of the letter that we're reading, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now there's a party. Hey. What, you guys pin tails on the donkey? No, we're the circumcision party. Sorry, that's not in the notes. That's not necessary. (laughs) What the heck am I thinking? Uh, Anyway. He's afraid of what these Jewish Christians will think of him because he's having fellowship with Gentile Christians who are uncircumcised. So what does he do? Because he's a Afraid of their disapproval, he pulls back from these Gentile Christians and he won't hang around with those Gentile Christians anymore, making himself a hypocrite. Keep reading. Keep reading. But when I saw, well, see, and the rest of the Jews acted, acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter's not immune to alternative fears, which are not the fear of the Lord. He he struggled with FOMO. He was afraid of missing out on the approval of these people that came from Jerusalem. So he acted unlovingly towards these other Christians. It's, it's easy to slip. It's easy to align our fears with things we shouldn't fear. And it's easy to, to place our hope in things which won't deliver. It's just a product of the flesh that we still carry around. And God loves us so much that He's going to send people like Paul who are going to get in our face. Paul says, And I got in his face, and I opposed him to his face publicly. Why? Because Paul loved him. Peter repented. Peter repented. Verse 14. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? You notice what he said? He says your conduct's not in step with the gospel. What's he saying? He's saying that your hope is not fully set on the grace to be revealed in you, which is what we talked about last week. So how do we reorientate, uh, reorientate our fears? Verse 22, there it is. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That, that phrase, having purified your souls, that's not passive. That's something you do. You so say, wait a minute, I thought I've been purified by the blood of Christ. That's what, that's what the blood of Christ did. Yes, you've been forgiven by what Jesus did. But this is an active ongoing purification of your souls by applying the truth that you know. You remember what Paul said to to, to Peter? You're not keeping in step with the gospel. You are not setting your hope fully on the grace to be revealed to you. As a follower of Christ, you have the wherewithal, the choice, the volitional free will to not set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed to you. You can do that. You can set your fear on things too. You can choose to fear man. You can choose to fear what you'll miss out on if you don't go back for thirds on the corn dip. You can do that if you want. Guys, tonight, late at night, or you can sneak off by yourself and you can open your phone and you can fear missing out on what you've been delving into the last 10 years. You, you, you can succumb to that fear. You can. Positively, you can place your hope on that which intellectually you know won't deliver but you feel it will and you can pursue this and that and all these other things you used to pursue before you followed Christ. You can do that. And it will disappoint and the Lord loves you enough that he'll allow you to feel the sting of your disappointment. And here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. The Lord will call you back. The Lord in his love says, I'm still here. He's the father of the prodigal. And when you come to your sentence, senses and you, and you recognize that, that the pursuit of this and the, and the avoidance of the fear of that which, which are not of the Lord, they've led you to a place where you're in pain and you're suffering. All you need to realize is your heavenly father knew that you were going to go that way anyway and he still loves you. And the way back is as simple as, Lord Jesus, I blew it. That's why John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us, there it is, purify us from all unrighteousness. So how do we do that? We align our hopes in Christ. And we reject the fear of man. We reject the fear of missing out on sin. And we just simply tell him, Lord, my heart's inclination is to fear things I shouldn't fear and want things I shouldn't want. And I confess that to you openly. You know my heart and I yield to you, purify my soul. You know what he does? He purifies your soul. And then all of a sudden, love becomes the product, the fruit of walking with him. The the love part is what he does. He's the one who, who, who changes us from the inside out. We have to be the ones that actively realign our hopes and set our hope on him. That's trust. That's trust. To turn from sin and turn towards him, that is, that's the act of faith. That's, that's, that's what happens internally. Practical considerations, first of all. Well, before we get to the, that, first, choose to follow Jesus. Trust him. There's probably a number of you here who have not trusted Christ as your Savior. See, what does that mean? It simply means to acknowledge Acknowledge that apart from Christ, you're lost and that Jesus came to earth to take your sins to the cross, to live a righteous life that you could never live and that by belief and trusting in Jesus, he gives you a pardon and eternal life. He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, so call on him today. Cry out to him, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. I've screwed up, and I'm sure I'll keep screwing up, but Lord, make me your child. Make me your child. Make that your prayer today. Then, as a follower of Christ, prayerfully identify one practice you can undertake which will reset your hope, your fears, and your love. What practice can you begin to undertake which will engage your mind mentally On hope that will deliver and a fear of the Lord which will lead to righteousness. That's a practice, something that you're currently not doing, but that would help you. For reference, you can go back and listen to a couple of the sermons I preached about a month ago on training versus trying. Second, write out a plan to begin this practice. So, for example, if you're like, well, I never read the Bible. I guess I could start there. Great. What time and when? What do you mean? Yeah, what time and when? Tomorrow, when are you going to do it? What time? You can do it at 7. You're going to do it at 8. You can do it before you go to work. You can do it in, in, for, on the lunch hour. You're going to do it when you get home. If you don't identify when you're going to begin that practice, guess what? You won't. That's how we work. I'm not any different. So, write it out. Third, share someone with someone. Here's what I decided I'm going to do. And tell them, well, my walk with the Lord is my business. Fine. Go walk alone by yourself. And, t- and then when you keep falling, remember that none of us were designed to walk alone. You were born again into a living hope And every single person in this room that's born again into a living hope is your brother and sister in Christ. If you are in an athletic team, you don't train alone. You train together. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We cannot do it alone. You weren't meant to. So share your plan with someone this week. As we close in prayer, I recognize there are people that are carrying burdens that four or three little practical considerations won't make go away. If you're struggling, if you're carrying a burden you're not meant to carry, I want to encourage you to, to let us know. You can write on the prayer cards in front of you, we'll be happy to pray for you. You can drop those off in the, the box as you, as you leave. But also, there will be people here at the end of the service as we pray and as we dismiss. If you would like people to pray for you and over you, you can come forward and and people will pray with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. You are truly good. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross, for taking the sins of the world upon yourself, for being buried, for being crucified, but conquering sin and death and rising again on the third day. Thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would would empower us to live in righteousness, not so that we can earn your acceptance, but because we have your acceptance in Christ. Father, I pray for that person or persons that are here today that have not yet trusted you. May today be the day that they come to you in faith and begin to walk. And Father, I pray for those who are discouraged, that you would encourage them, Lord, that you would remind them that, that you do discipline those you love. And Lord, that that's a, a sign, Lord, that you are at work in our hearts. And Father, I just pray that you would give us a holy fear, a fear of sin, a fear of of displeasing you, a healthy fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom, that we might honor you and live for you who died for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless going grace. We will see you next week.